this threat is real and it's happening now at a time that couldn't be worse uh, for us as an industry. And the absolute best thing we can do is work together. Hello and welcome to episode 440 of Radio Brews News Week, recorded today, Thursday the 19th of October 2023. This week I'm your host, Sabrina Kunz, and I'm joined by regular co-host, although with rotating other people, Ian Watson. Hey, Ian. Hey, Sabrina. How are you? Good. You're the uh, the steadying the ship for us I, the I, last couple yes, of weeks. Yeah, at, the, at the moment, we seem to have the waves where... Some of us can and some of us can't do the show. You're it. You're you're the you're the steady hand. Oh, Matt's uh, up at um, Seabrew um, or Brew Asia this week, so he's in Vietnam. So no doubt we'll be getting the uh, we'll be getting the goods on that when he gets back next week. So like with the last few weeks, there's sort of a lot going on in the industry. Not all of it breaking news, but last week we had the report out about uh, Sydney Beer Week to return. Uh, Sydney Beer Week is set to return next year with new owners announcing plans to resurrect the event after a six-year hiatus with a focus on hospitality venues. Peter Anstey, General Manager of Sydney's Hotel Sweeney's, and Josh Quantrill, National Channel Manager at Four Pines, have acquired the festival. Um, In a statement announcing the event, Anstey said it was time for the event's return. We need to celebrate our venues, our customers and our amazing breweries. A uh, few details are yet available for the en- event, but it's said to be held on as yet unspecified dates in October next year. However, Peter Ansey says it's about providing an experience to encourage people to get out to hospitality venues. Um, you can read more in the article. There's certainly been a number of media releases. Um, this is going to be one to watch, I think, Ian. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't realise it had been that long since um, Sydney Beer Week was, was run, I probably just because... Uh, for all of us, the last three years have been um, an absolute blur. Uh, yeah. so, so much happening. So I didn't, yeah, I, I was struck by how long it had been since um, Sydney Beer Week had actually been on. Because we haven't had Bruce Vegas for a few years uh, up in, or almost as long up here in, in Brisbane too, um, which uh, was was stopped when COVID was on and hasn't yeah. um, restarted. Uh, big undertaking doing these sorts of, of of weeks, but they can bring a lot to the to the beer community. So good to see that something's happening for Sydney. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I read it and I thought, oh, I'm in two minds about it. The first is, you know, part of the reason these beer weeks are disappearing or have disappeared um, is because you know it's hard to turn a profit for the level of effort, as you say, to pull something like this together that's really successful. Um, and then the second sort of part of my brain thought, okay, this is being run by a hotelier and a um, member of staff of CUB. Or, yeah, um, so, you know, it's definitely not going to be an indie beer focus. Um, it will definitely be craft beer, kind of the way that Gra- Gabs is. Um, but it's really about, you know, it, it's not the focus on, and they went on into the article to talk about, you know, Meet the Brewer isn't getting new customers um, out. So, you know, I'll, I'll be interesting to see, like, what are the new ideas to get people out to beer? What are the new activations? Um, as you said, it's been such a long time since it's been run, Ian, that the market is fundamentally different to what it was last time it was run. So it's going to have to be a different beast Fingers crossed it does good things for craft beer, small brewery craft beer and not just um, the hotels and other big breweries under the guise of being a craft beer week. And we don't know. Like there's nothing to say that that is the case but, you know, when I go I put my, um, you know, fear hat on, um, that, that would be sort of, where I am. The flip side is, look, gosh, if they could come up with something really unique and interesting that showcases everyone, um, that would be really, really fabulous. Yeah, well, it's it is called Sydney Beer Week, not so much Sydney Craft Beer Week, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say, um, 
showing beer in a good light across the whole. And, you know, part of Beer Australia, as we've, we've said uh, many times about doing something to raise the image of beer. Now, with uh, a lot of beer weeks, not Sydney Beer Week or Good Beer Week or a Bruce Vegas or anyone in particular, one thing that struck me uh, over the last number of them that I'd looked at the events, some of the events were um, drifting far away from beer itself. They were just mm. general events that could have been for anything that happened to have beer at it or happened to be at a beer-focused venue. And I do believe we should be looking for things that make um, – to present beer in a positive light and do yeah. something to raise the profile of beer and give people a unique experience and a good experience, uh, ultimately even over unique, a good experience around beer and raise the image and the profile of beer and promote beer itself, even if that means running less events but running more quality events. Um, yeah. Something that, that I hope to see out of out of these beer weeks. and um, Great yeah, point. Let, let's let's see what Sydney Beer Week is is going to do. Yeah, it's interesting because even last year with the uh, Good Beer or this this year, sorry, earlier this year with the Good Beer Week uh, activations, when you looked into it, there were some really fabulous events that were in there. But the ones that the media chose to pick up were the ones that maybe um, didn't show beer sort of quite as. Uh, sophisticated I suppose as you and I would have liked or didn't show it in its best light it picked the ones that were that stereotypical for beer and so it would be as you say there is an opportunity here to really do things that are about educating and elevating beer itself as a category so that yeah I can see that that would be really you know a lovely opportunity inside that absolutely and it doesn't mean it has to be something that's stuffy or pretentious or anything no like. No. But things that just, um, you know, when you if you have an event in a, um, a week in a festival that's supposedly about celebrating beer and where the event, you could remove beer and put soft drink, wine, whatever mm, in there and yeah. it'll be the same or there's not. To me, there is no point in that. Mm. Um, and certainly some of those then actually, because you're associating with beer, there's nothing wrong with those events in general, um, but if you're associating with beer, it maybe doesn't do something to, to, to make beer seem like something that people can take seriously. And by that, I don't mean um, take it too seriously, but as in give beer the respect that it deserves and the respect that we want it to have. And if we want that, we've got to show that ourselves as the industry. I can't wait to talk about my brewery of the week um, because I think, you know, it addresses so many of the points that you were just making. Um, so. Moving on to sort of other news um, and listeners and Ian kind of bear with me because I'm going to thread a few things together and then maybe we can have a chat about it. But earlier this week, um, the Australian Government Institute of Health and Welfare released the apparent consumption of alcohol in Australia data. So this data is a continuation of a data set that was previously released by the Australian Bureau of Statistics and that ceased. So the last um, time that they ran that data was in 2019. Um, Matt had been quietly in the background asking government for this data and trying to figure out why it had ceased um, being made available uh, and now it's moved from being produced by the Australian Bureau of Statistics into health and welfare and I flagged that because we'll come to something related. But notwithstanding, it remains the um, sort of a best data that is neutral, as in not provided by a health body, not provided by a government entity that is sourced on um, sort of objective information that we can get our hands on. Um, and it is looking at data um, for the 2019-2020 calendar year, so sort of already a few years ago. And, again, I flag that because when we talk about trends, um, you'd have to assume that the trends that they highlight in this report have continued well past 2020, not that they've reversed. So some of the key findings um, in the data were that wine has continued to be the largest contributor to apparent consumption of pure alcohol. The largest difference seen between 2018-19 data and 2019-2020 data was a 10% increase in the apparent consumption of spirits. 
the growth has been consistent um, since in spirit since 2016. Um, there has been a decrease in 2.8 percent of beer from 2018 to 2019, 2018-19 to 2019-20. Again, a consistent trend. Um, People in Australia consumed 82 litres of beer per capita in 2019-2020. This is the lowest amount seen since the late 1940s and continues the long-standing trend of decreasing beer consumption. While overall beer consumption has been decreasing, an increasing proportion of that beer has been mid-strength. In the 2019-2020 data, 23% of all beer consumed was mid-strength. This is the highest amount seen since the categories were created in 2001. Uh, 73% of beer was full strength, a slight decrease, and just 4.4% of the beer was low strength. So I flagged that as sort of key data coming out of that. No doubt there will be more people digging into the data. I encourage you to take a look. There'll be a link in the show notes at um, if you're a data geek at the methodology. Some of the data capturing methodology has changed slightly, et cetera. But, you know, key takeaways, people in Australia mostly drink wine. Spirits is on the increase as a trend. Beer is on the decrease as a trend. Um And then I want to combine that information um, to give you a little insight, uh, folks, as to how my brain works. Um, I want to combine that information with a recent um, journal article that was published by Professor of Economics in the Journal of Wine Economics, um, Professor Kim Anderson. And this article was called The Emerging of Lower Alcohol Beverages, The Case for Beer. And a couple of his salient findings were... One of the reasons for the decline in beer and rise in wine is the high rate of immigration from wine drinking Southern Europe, but another has to do with the relative price range. Since the early 1980s, the retail wine price index has fallen by more than one third relative to the overall consumer price index, while beer and spirits price indexes have increased by half. Much of that change in relative pricing is due to the differences in the way the consumption of the three beverage types are taxed. So again, part of the reason wine is on the increase is due to, and this is me paraphrasing, the unfair difference between the taxation around wine and beer. Another finding um, from Professor Anderson, breweries stand to gain insofar as the net profits from low no beer. And again, I encourage you to take a look, but he actually defines low no as less than 3%, consistent with the way that industry would consider low no. So he's really clear on differentiating between low and mid. Breweries stand to gain insofar as the net profits from low, no beer sales exceed those lost from the drop-in sales of full-strength beer. The most obvious potential contributor to such an outcome is the excise tax regime, especially in those countries where duties are based on the alcohol content by volume. Uh, The situation is even more favourable to consumers as well as producers in jurisdictions such as Australia that encouraged the low, no revolution by imposing lesser tax rate on lower ABB products. Uh, And finally, he finds that beer moderation has been the key contributor to Australia's reduction in per capita alcohol consumption over the past half century. So uh, the first set of data we've got coming out, neutral data says beer's in decline. We've got an economist saying here are some of the reasons that is the case, including that as a result of beer moderating its total ABV and providing low-no options, that has had a direct impact on the overall reduction in per capita uh, available for consumption beer, uh, available for consumption alcohol. And then finally, we have an article from today uh, that hurts the soul uh, with the headline, Cancer Warnings Could Be Coming to Wine Bottle and Beer Can Labels. Bottles of wine and beer cans could soon be slapped with health warning labels similar to cigarette packets if government heeds calls from national health groups. The Australian Medical Association, Royal Australian College of General Practitioners and Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education, FAIR, 
are calling for alcohol producers to be forced to print labels on bottles, cans and casts, warning of the risk of liver disease, cancer, heart disease, poor mental health, injury and alcohol poisoning. Uh, Federal Minister Responsible for Food and Beverage Labelling, Jed Kearney, um, said that she sought advice from her department on the options for raising consumer awareness among the harms associated with alcohol. And it's expected that that advice will canvas new warning labels. Um, for context, the federal minister, um, Ms. Kearney, um, was a registered nurse prior to uh, joining uh, government and um, a deputy director for nursing. So I lay all of that information out for discussion, Ian, Um, you know, both the opportunity for beer, the facts around what beer as a category has actually done in assisting with some of the issues raised by the health advocates and then this uh, somewhat out of the blue push and government directing activity around looking at... um, health warning labels yeah a lot to take in there sabrina i know Uh, sorry i just yeah we we get to the pointy end first and then maybe go backwards a little bit um a quote from i believe it was a movie that this was sampled on but it was from uh, in the front of a song that i um was listening to in the 90s and it was we warned you we told you the rules but you didn't listen the madness um and this is exactly what uh, many people have been saying, including yourself, um, for, for, for quite some time, is this, the headwinds are pushing for, for this. Um, it probably is an inevitability, and it's how we manage things on from, from, from here. So I don't know, do we keep running down this line, or do we go back and talk about some of the earlier things that led up to, to this last point here? Um, so those statistics are probably... Um, what we really know it is as you said uh on the trend that we were that we were seeing yeah a few years out of date but it takes a while to compile this stuff i imagine and to be able to get accuracy in it the statements on um in showing the total alcohol consumed and this is um then for those not familiar with that is talking about the the lals the leader of alcohol that's in um a product so if you're talking you're selling two 50 liter kegs of beer that are five percent that that is um, five liters of of of, of pure alcohol. Um, so part of some of the changes in beer is the fact that Australia has had a swing um, over the last nearly fifty for fifty years yep. towards lower alcohol beer, which is not a bad thing um, at, at all. Beer is a moderate drink, always has been through history. Really, even stronger beers are a lot more of a, a modern thing. When I say that, I mean the last couple of hundred years um, yeah which in ten thousand or so years of beer history is is a blink of an eye um so that's showing what that is there interesting then um pointing out about how much of a good thing that is by um by the professor of economic yeah. you know what's really interesting ian so one of the lines and i don't have it here but kim anderson actually pointed out he was able to say Basically, if beer had continued at, you know, a standard 5.5% and not had these low no offerings, here is the additional volume of pure alcohol that would have been available in the Australian market. So was able to actually sort of along your line say that that reduction actually removed pure alcohol out of the system, So, um, which is really interesting, you know, sort of when you're thinking about uh harm reduction and those questions yeah absolutely um it is and that's something that we should lean into uh as an industry um both in what we do ourselves internally and how we're showing the um the wider community um what beer actually actually is and what a moderate you know it is the most moderate of alcoholic beverages of of classic alcoholic beverages um, and yeah, we should we should be able to, and we should lean um, lean into that, particularly with the um, yeah what we what we landed totally. on at the end of that. Um, so yes, if you read the Sydney Morning Herald article, uh, I had a quick glance over it. Um, yeah, it's full warning label city. 
um, is, <laughs> look, yeah, like they're no, not. They're, they're your, your, your label is going to be all warnings and graphics, um, and it will not be a marketing angle anymore. It, it would just be impossible to be with all that's on there. Now, this doesn't mean it's going to be happening in the next three months or in the next year, even three years, but maybe it will. You never know how quickly these things can turn around. We have got to take a forward position on this mm-hmm. and we have got to, to be the ones that to grab this and do something with it. And let's face it, I've said it many times, we make a poison in the, in the alcohol industry. Alcohol is a drug. Let's not forget that. Some people have problems with it. It does have issues. It can be a wonderful thing, but it can be something that has issues. Um, so we can't be fully opposed to this because that is just being irresponsible members of our society and of our community. Um, but it's how we relate that in a sensible, a sensible and reliable way. And remember that I've also said this before, CYA, many politicians, most politicians, to be frank, they're just interested in covering their ass. Um, so if they might not agree with it, they might think it's actually totally stupid. They might view it in a very irresponsible way. But they want to cover their ass. They want to be elected. They don't want to be responsible for for something. So if they think that this is an easy out and that it's something that on paper they feel is covering their ass, they're going to jump on it in 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 you know in a, in a second flat. Um, so we have to be able to lobby for a sensible position in this, a sensible and responsible, I might add, position too. This isn't about just getting our way. Because we do have to, as I say again, realise that we make poison, um, a, a drug. So um, we have to look at how we can be responsible and in a way that is um, realistic and reliable um, for a product that's been uh, manufactured to adults. Mm. And we have to show that we are not the tobacco industry. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think um, I, I'm... As everybody knows, I've sort of got the two hats now, the Brews News and the IBA. And so um, and then so so when I say all of this, this is I've just read this article and I'm thinking as Sabrina Kunz, what do I think we should do? And um, again, I think this is sort of democracy as a team sport um, is, is immediately where my head went, which is that um, we're not in practice anymore. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Like this is this is full on time for everyone to come to the party, and that sounds overwhelming given how difficult people are finding business already, um, and sort of the day to day of business, right? The day to day grind of how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? We know that cash flow is so important and, and that business owners and brewery owners are looking at that daily. And so to hear something like this labelling thing come in on top could feel really, um, you know, it could be a lot. It, it could be sort of the thing that makes you go, oh, please beat this, Joe. Oh, fuck. Like you've got to be f-ing kidding me. I can't do this as well. This could come in in stages and we could see that the cancer warning label on there and then um, 12 months later there is a um, mental health warning label and 12 months later there is something else which as we know just with pregnancy warning labels the cost and the impact that is that is quite terrible now i have an idea and i'll let you keep rolling with where you are well well all i guess i was just going to say is you know so for me i come back to this democracy as a team sport and although everybody's in the trenches and they're thinking what the fuck Hopefully, um, by having an avenue to do to take action, like if if you if if everybody feels if every brewery member, you know, again for the IBA and otherwise, because I can imagine that um, you know the big guys, this is where Beer Australia, you know, working together is important um, as a category. Uh, and but hopefully, if people feel like they're taking action and that they're part of a team that we are as a collective working on this, maybe you know that is the solution. And in in being in the trenches of this fight together, it actually brings us you know more united as an industry. Um, and th- and that's sort of my um, Pollyanna-ish hope is that um, people go, yep, the day to day stuff is really hard, but something I can do is is whatever it's going to be, talk to my federal member, send this letter, 
add my name to this petition, contact this journalist, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, whatever the call to action is going to be. Yeah. Now, a little bit of a, um, a relief in this is we might, um, we might consider this article is a little bit of a beta, but if something like this is being mentioned, talk about, it means that there is, where there's smoke, there's fire, there is movement there. I think we should probably, you know, my opinion is that um, we can't just sit back. We've got to take a forward foot on this now before we allow um, momentum to gain too much on the other side. And I think we should probably, you know, maybe we could look at doing something like putting, getting ready for this beforehand, getting ready, uh, our position ready beforehand. Maybe it's something that could be looked at in a general health warning on there um, in the place of where the pregnancy warning uh, label is now or as a parallel with that and we have a warning a general health warning that alcohol is a drug and that um, there is a wide-ranging effects um, and implications from uh, potential implications from its consumption beyond the implications of the day-to-day and by that I'm meaning uh, potential inebriation and then have a link and that goes forth that people can go to a health uh, a respected health res- um, site um, that's not the alcohol industry, that is a government-run health thing, and actually a government, not a quasi-government pretending to be um, anecdote reporters, but an actual thing and where people can read about the um, negative effects and the wide-ranging negative effects of excessive consumption of alcohol and what that may lead to, everything from fetal alcohol syndrome through to... Um, mental health through to um, uh, uh, damage to the liver, etc., etc. everything that's there and can be updated. But a general warning, and here is the link, please go and look at that. And that was something that we could be doing that could be responsible, but without, um, and could be added to as we're finding it without further impact after further impact on small businesses and their packaging. Yeah, Ian, it's really interesting you say because um, in the response in this um, Sydney Morning Herald article, I think Alcohol Beverages Australia said health is complex um, and it can't be drilled down to sort of just a label. And I think part of the frustration um, that I've always felt around the pregnancy warning labelling is we haven't, there has been no empirical objective data that has said the labelling has worked, the labelling has made a difference, the labelling has had the impact that health advocates want. And only today I was sort of yelling because FAIR, their name is the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education. They are the body who are supposed to be doing education and yet their solution is on label. Because then, you know, quite frankly, their responsibility that they are funded in terms of education goes out the window, right? So I sort of struggle with, you know, labels, as you say, Ian, uh, there's political pressure. It's easy for government to say, put it on a label. It's harder to create a meaningfully impactful program. And so, and yet, if there's no data that says labeling changes work, um, then, you know, at the point at which you're going to pick up this drug, this substance, then, um, you know, it's just a cost to industry and a cost to industry that may not be achieving the health outcomes that the advocates are, are working for. And that's the bit that really frustrates me. It's done, it's the same on most of our food labelling. Um, you know, we've talked in the past about sugar and carbs and added sugar and so on and so forth. And they're done based on, you you know, the the decisions are being made based on no uh, detailed research other than paper sort of scans of journal articles, for want of a better phrase, of previously published research. And you go, you're making major changes based on, quite frankly, positional statements rather than research and government should be well-funded to undertake the research to make informed decisions. And so, you know, hopefully um, what would be very disappointing out of this process is um, 
you know, the, the comment from the federal minister was that she'd sought advice from her department on options for raising consumer awareness about the harms associated with alcohol. I'd be very interested in understanding what the range of options are that are being considered. Um, as we know, you know, Matt and I have talked about previously, we've said DrinkWise has been one of the more effective campaigns that is funded by the alcohol industry. Um you know, what is actually being done in a meaningful way to prevent harms. And I, and I think about this a lot when um, we think about the way that education for teenagers has changed from a message of abstinence to a message of in, informed choice um, and that actually um, youth drinking and the statistics on that are down and that is including Gen Z choosing you know, to drink in moderation or choosing to not drink. And so um, we know that proper education works, but I just, you know, it would be fascinating to see the literature and the behavioural studies that prove that um, putting this information on label at, at the point of consumption makes a significant enough change. Now, to, to, to be reasonable, the pregnancy warning label hasn't been in long enough for us to be able to get any feedback on that, um, especially in our community. Um, however, I, I agree that that is a point too late on that one. I, I think probably in some other things, some other health uh, risks associated with, with alcohol on the can might be effective don't really know but probably with the pregnancy one because of the information that's been out there for so long um, and if it's got to the point where someone is picking up that can of, of beer or wine or whatever it's it's probably too too late however a reminder about general health um, issues and being able to, something that we can update is much more easily done with a generic um, warning and and then a link and a reminder it also makes me think, um, is this an admission that their um, education around alcohol has failed and that they've done the job there and they're covering their asses just with something that's this simple um, instead of actually putting that effort into there, which, as you say, yeah, is is probably is a harder thing to, well, definitely is a harder thing to implement because you've actually got to do a job um, rather than pay off and just making a statement saying, you know, drugs are bad, okay. Um so we maybe take the four in um, education around this. Um, if they're not willing to do it, if the Foundation for Alcohol um, Research and Education is not willing to actually properly research and educate, um, and if the government itself is not willing to do it, perhaps we need to do it as responsible citizens. And this is where drink-wise, you know, again, we come back to sort of small breweries, big breweries, indie not. But, you know, DrinkWise is funded by the big breweries and some of their um, campaigns are, you know, really targeting in a way that the consumers receive the information. So not in the way that we think is best, but in a way that is targeting consumers um, in the hope of making real change. And so, look, uh, the area is so complex. Um, it's so difficult but I just think what is really salient for beer to understand for, for listeners of Brews News, for small breweries, for beer as a category, is that um, that th this threat is real and it's happening now at a time that couldn't be worse uh, for us as an industry and the absolute best thing we can do is work together, is like work together as a collective um, big and small, small alone if we need to, to um, really make the case here. Um, and it's incumbent upon all of us to sort of, um, you know, participate in the, um, in the democratic process of this consultation if, if in fact, um, there even becomes a consultation, a public consultation. Yes, ab ab absolutely. Um yeah, so let's all put our heads together. Let's see what we can do. Um, this is real. Um, this is not a drill. Um, let's um, let's work together. Let's take the four on this and um, and make things happen. We can't do that individually, but we can do that all as a group if we're all doing individual amounts of effort. 
So I want to segue here, but I know Matt would kill me. So I'm not going to segue. I'm just going to say completely unrelated to any discussion that we've just had. If you are thinking about getting new labels for your beer cans, there are some people that we know that you can call. Um, we know that beer cans are the mini billboard, at least for a little while, uh, at least for a few more years, we hope. Um, the label is a conversation starter. It's providing a new voice to designers and artists, and it's a very public canvas to present some terrific artworks. If you want to get your specs right and get your can or bottle to look best at all times, you can call the guys at Rallings Labels, Stickers and Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au to see how they can make your brand sing. Other news, um, Matt had a conversation, kind of tie these up together, Matt had a conversation with Mark Hubbard from On Market, an equity crowdfunding firm, um, and we won't replay the detailed conversation that he had, but certainly if you've ever heard Matt um, express a point of view on crowdfunding, um, it's really good to get uh, another side, another perspective from Mark, um, who I think, you know, deserves um, congratulations for having a robust conversation. Yeah, it, it was was great. He did um, fantastically. Um, we all know that um, Matt's pretty dogged with his questioning around um equity crowdfunding um, and Mark took everything Matt Matt gave to him. Um, Matt took some angles gently, some angles not so gently and Mark was an absolute champion through all of that. Yeah. Answered um, in the best way um, that he could. Now, that makes it sound as though he was, you know, maybe not answering it, but he, he absolutely was uh, and he didn't back down from, from any question or tried to divert anything. It's a... Um, a, a challenging listen because Matt is just asking question after question in the way that he does best, um, and Mark answers it uh, fantastically. Um, but it's actually that transparency that breeds confidence, right? So yeah, that having that com- conversation out loud breeds confidence. So beneficial, you, you know, related to equity crowdfunding, Beneficial Beer Co. this week announced expressions of interest on virtual for future crowdfunding. And I did a quick check-in. Um, filter Brewing EOIs is still open for another four days. So currently two beer uh, expressions of interest open for potential shareholders. So be, you know, I'm sure we'll find out in the future whether they got sufficient EOIs to proceed um, to actually raise. A um, couple other tiny bits of news. Um the Independent Brewers Association is seeking expressions of interest for HR service providers. Um, you'll see seeing this media release come out. So if you're listening and you know um, any small firms, big firms, people that you know that work in human resources and want to provide a range of member services to IBA members, um, get them to take a look at their EOI and respond. You know, we think it's a great industry to be a part of and we know that some of our businesses could do with a hand up um, in relation to HR issues. So it'd be really great to to get this member benefit across the line. So if you know anyone that you think would be a good fit, get them to take a look. Sabrina, can I ask? Uh, can I ask you to put your IBA hat on for a moment? I, that was sort of my IBA hat. I probably should have made my declaration there. Um, well, yeah. if I can get you to keep that on for a moment, could I ask you some questions about that? Please. Um, Okay, so I'm like, as a brewer, as a member of the industry, interested to know a little bit about if there is any more information or, uh, that we can have on that at the moment as to what form this uh, HR service provider will take. And is this like a preferred supplier? Is this like a group buying thing? Or is this a HR provider like giving some um, templates that we as individual businesses could use and expand on more or, or what 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 form might this actually take in 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 the end um all of the above Ian so um we've written the EOI to be really broad in terms of the scope of services with the hope of drawing out we the IBA have written um the scope of services really broadly with the hope of drawing out anyone that can do some or all of the services and the types of things listed are exactly as you've described which is um provide templates, provide that can be adapted by individual businesses, 
um, provide updates on sort of legislative and regulatory reform um, and obligations, but also down to things like can you provide a range of services that are um, sort of easy questions for our members and then can you provide a preferred um, sort of bulk buy level of service to our members for more complex issues. Um, we've asked for things like employee assistance services, um, you know, for businesses that don't have employee assistance. Um, we've asked for could you perform gap analysis analyses for businesses, so going in and asking businesses, you know, where they are with respect to their HR policies, practices, procedures, etc. Um, and a whole range of things. So what this EOI hasn't done is excluded anything. In fact, it said if you want to be involved, you know how to get involved, um, respond to the EOI and tell us what you think is possible and how you think that might be structured. Um, so everything is on the table at this stage. So it could range from everything from free templates through yep. uh, uh, group discounts, Etc. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah just just want to understand it from from an industry point of view as to what what may or may not be coming up. Yeah, and it's hard to tell. You know, certainly, you know, this has been these types of needs are ones that have come up from industry sort of over and over and over again. Um, but because of the scale change and difference in businesses, everybody's sort of at a different place and needs different things. So it's really going to be a matter for, you know, when the EOIs come in, uh, what can service providers provide? How much is it going to cost? What are the benefits for members? You know, what's the priority, et cetera, et cetera. And I wouldn't presume to to sort of know how that's going to land why the, while the EOIs are open. Yeah. Um, but um, hopefully... It is something that IBA members want, uh, have asked for, uh, and now, you know, the IBA has gone to market. So hopefully um, in the next couple of weeks we'll get some, you know, we'll be able to start evaluating some responses. Excellent. Also, applications are currently slash still open for the Women in Hospitality and Pink Boots Mentorship Program. They close on the 31st of October. You can find links on the Pink Boots uh, Facebook page. And it looks like a really well-structured program. And so, um, you know, just if you are in the industry and you're thinking about putting your hand up but not sure, uh, read the information um, and, and apply. Any other news um, around the traps from you, Ian? Anything else that's been sort of bubbling away? Uh, no, n nothing that's really to light um, at the moment. Uh, oh, the other, the other great news point is that I, I really did enjoy at the end of that. Sorry, take it back to um, um, the equity crowdfund bureau's conversation. I really did once again enjoy him, Matt, Matt saying saison as the pastor <laughs> the, um, for the Facebook group. Well, speaking of Saison, so we're going to go to Brewery of the Week and I know that we have done this brewery before, but I just want to, last weekend I um, went down um, to experience the Chef's Table at uh, Chef's Table Experience at Molly Rose in Melbourne. as their Friday night. Um, it's a five-course chef's table exploring fermentation and flavour, allowing brewers to make beers that inspire our chefs, inviting the chef to make a dish that provokes the brewer. And you sit at the pass watching the chef uh, prepare the food, make the food. We had the most, it was the spring, um, uh, the spring chef's table menu and it was... I have eaten um, and consumed alcohol at many, many, many environments around the world, high-end restaurants, and this was one of my most favourite food and beverage experiences of all time. The food was truly sensational. It was five courses, but in and amongst the um, the entrees were sort of six, seven different tasters of different things. The beer matching was perfect. Uh, you know, we had a a German Hells, a um, beer cocktail to start, a farmhouse, a Moscato farmhouse ale, a Belgian double, 
green walnut and apricot sour stout and a black and yellow stout. And so it was truly, truly exceptional. At one point, um, my partner said to me, Sabrina, are you going to cry? Because I was so happy about the experience. And so the food and beer was exceptional. But the other thing that I just want to flag was that the team were completely like it was it, it was a choreographed experience. The team was so committed to what they were doing. They were so passionate about the fact that they they were offering something that they felt was unique. Um, between the end of the um, second to last course, they take you out into the pilot brewery. You get a, a discussion about how the beer is being made. That's timed to the people that are eating it. You got to have some wort and explanation. And it was just so much of the elevated beer experience that you could possibly imagine and I think it's everything that we always talk about and I just left in these times when we're getting all of this news that is so difficult and people are really struggling and I left that dinner on an absolute high about what beer could be and where it's going and so I don't get I don't fangirl I'm not an Instagrammer I'm not sort of into all of that and I would do all of those things if I could for this experience at Molly Rose so I I couldn't give it higher praise if I tried Ian. Excellent that makes me very happy um, that people are doing that and people are trying to create that experience and uh, even more happy that they're, they're successful in that experience oh. in seeing the, the 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 way that you've been talking about it for the last couple of minutes and the way that you were talking about it um, at the you know before we actually even press record on the on the program that's fantastic that's what we need to do creating consumer experiences like that are magical putting the care and attention into um, into the presentation of beer and presentation of beer. Uh, doesn't just stop at the quality of the beer in the tank. It's about um, the entire experience, the experience of how it goes into the glass, the experience of um, how it's presented, given to the consumer, how um, the story that's that's put with it, the food that it's served with, the way that it's served, the people that it's served by, the environment that it's served in, um, the whole um I'm trying to think yeah. of what the word the might ambience. be, like the, the whole um, cosm, the, the whole uh, environment that is is that beer. It, well, because this is what it was, Ian. It was this thing that was sort of like, well, the staff were all so proud. It was so only a few months earlier I'd had a, um, you know, it was my 40th birthday. I went for this very fancy degustation uh, dinner at a, at a um, restaurant in Brisbane that was very high-end and, and my our it, it cost three times the price of Molly Rose. And we sat in the Molly Rose experience and we're like, it's all of the things you said at the start, Ian, about the potential for Sydney Beer Week, which is it was still, it was refined and elevated, but not pretentious. The staff was still had the beer vibe as of being friendly and warm and open but were impeccably professional and very knowledgeable. And it's that combo that is so hard to strike that just made it just so amazing. So if you ever, dear listeners, if you ever get the chance, if you haven't done it already, if you need to pick me up uh, to feel good about beer or look at beer in a different way, um, Friday, Saturday nights, Molly Rose, 5.30, five-course uh, seasonal degustation menu couldn't recommend it more highly not a paid ad <laughs> and, and if you're seeing um this sort of concept done by other breweries please support it yeah uh, go and check it out if yeah. you're a brewery and um you know you uh, uh want to you're interested in doing this sort of thing please i encourage you to do it if you've never done it there's many of us out there that you can reach out to um myself paul heaps of um, Cicerones around the, the country that would love to help you out this is how we can start to elevate beer and it's so wonderful to hear of someone that's done it well and done it well enough that it's brought such joy to uh, a, 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 you know someone experienced in the industry, let alone what it's um, doing to those that maybe a little bit less hardened about things. Um, so that, that's that's fantastic. 
That's a great idea, Ian. Um, if if next week our mailbag is full of people making suggestions of where else in the country I can travel to have a beautiful beer and food experience, um, that would be just fine with me. <laughs> and especially one of the things I really like hearing you say about it, Sabrina, is about how engaged the staff were. Yeah. That is and how proud they were of what they're doing. Um, that's fantastic. There, are, there are many out there that aren't proud, aren't interested in what they're they're doing, and that's that's sad. And we have to do what we have to do what we can as an industry to to encourage more engagement with our staff. And if you are a hospitality um, service professional out there, um, many of you probably already do know this, but some of you maybe just starting your, your journey. The more you know about your product, the more interested, the more you research about it the more enjoyable you actually find what you are serving and what you are doing. And that doesn't matter whether it's beer, wine, spirits, the food, um, soft drinks, what, what, whatever. The more you learn about it, the more enjoyable and the more interesting your, your role becomes and the more engaged you'll find yourself and the more response you'll find back from your, your customers, which it's just a, a, a loop and a snowball, whatever you want to say, that, that works on. And it's, it's um, yeah, really fun when you're really into that. Um, and Brewery of the Week was brought to you by Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litre at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has got you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 0385183172 and talk all things yeast. Um, and we've got a quick mailbag this week, um, just a one-liner from Nick Got Shork, a regular contributor. So can we just call search pricing unhappy hour? And that was in response to the podcast last week. So if you haven't listened, um, now's your chance. Thanks, Nick. Um, and Mailbag is brought to you by, this week by Beer Fans. Beer Fans creates new fans of your brand. Start selling outside the same pool of consumers and increase your size of the pie. It's free to feature your beer and merch on the website with Beer Fans being rewarded only once a new fan is secured for your brand. If you want to put your brand in front of more Beer Fans, reach out to the team via email at join at beerfans.shop or click on the link in the show notes to start your seven-minute onboarding process. And that's it, Ian. That's it. Well, you know, looking at what the time is is now, Sabrina, if people wanted to do their onboarding process, they could do it straight now and it's still only take them up to the hour mark. So, Oh, look at you, perfection in sales. Thank you, Ian, for um, exploring the wide world of from beer tasting to cancer <laughs> labelling this week. Um, and Matt will be back next week when he gets back from Vietnam. Um, if you would like to post us a question or send us a vo voicemail, you can leave a 90-second message for us. Um, click on the link in the show notes. And that wraps up another week of news and views. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, and Ian Watson. The show is produced and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Cryer Malt, Rowling's Labour's Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast, and Beer Fans for their support in making this episode possible. 